You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message from Sean Foyt. How's it going, everybody? We've got a special guest who's going to come up and speak. He's a good friend of mine. I wanted to share something real quick. This is um, a verse that's given me joy and a little bit of turmoil over the years. Um, uh, this is James. He says, uh, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And uh, religion, I know sort of a lot of us come from the uh, charismatic tradition and often in the, I, I do, and um, I'm really grateful for it, but in the charismatic tradition, uh, they, we hate the word religion, you know, um, and I think the word religion has been misused. Religion here, uh, as it can and also in other contexts, just means worship. It's your spiritual practice, right? Um, you know, and, and so what James is basically saying here is true worship is to take care of people less fortunate than you. Um, and there's these type of verses sprinkled throughout the whole of Scripture, especially the New Testament. If you've noticed, there's a trajectory in Scripture. It starts with, you know, one person. It's Abraham, and God's doing something with Abraham. And then Abraham's family, he's blessing his family. Then he blesses the tribe, and then he blesses the nation. And before you know it, God wants to bless the whole world, right? And Peter has that experience where, you know, they didn't expect um, the Gentiles to be allowed into the equation. Most of us are Gentiles in the room today. And and Peter was, uh, you know, he wasn't going to go meet with the Gentiles. And God gave him the dream, you know, rise and eat, you know, out all these unclean animals. And Peter said, no, I'm not going to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. You know, then all of a sudden, well, the Gentiles, the other people were welcomed into the equation. You see this amazing trajectory in Scripture, right? And... And so you see more and more how God, at times, um, there are times when God will only allow himself to be loved through another person. You know, there are times when God will only allow himself to be loved when you can only love God by loving another person. And there's, I can't remember who said this, but there's a quote um, that I like and also haunts me. It says, uh, you love God as much as the person you love the least. Because there is something of God that is connected to every living person. God loves every living person. There's a scripture that says that he does not delight in the death of the wicked. Right? And so God is somehow connected to every person. Anyway, um, recently, um, you know, if you get on the Twitters every now and then, right? My friends all consider Twitter to be a dumpster fire lately. And it has been for the last few years, um, you know, and something bad happens and everyone has their opinion. And, and I probably shared this before, but a while back, um, I realized something I was and I think it's fine to have your opinion. And I think it's important if you feel like you need to give a voice, you know, I think it's important to do that. So I'm not saying that's bad or wrong, but I think a lot of times what social media does is it tricks you into thinking that you did something when actually you didn't do anything. It tricks you into thinking you did something. We could talk about that for days, right? But, you know, there's a temptation to get on and want to say something, to stand up, 
you know, for the oppressed or the underprivileged, right? There's nothing wrong with that. You know, stand up for refugees, right? And to say something on Twitter and feel awesome and realize you didn't actually do anything for anybody. It tricks you, right? And I thought, and I, I was convicted. I realized, like, I'm saying this stuff and I'm getting people fired up and I'm like, it's not actually helping anybody. Maybe it's helping people in certain ways as we're, we're having important conversations. But I realized, like, I don't want to be tricked into non-action. You know? And if you've been here long enough and you've made friends with other people in church, you realize that we actually are a, politically speaking, fairly diverse group. We're a fairly diverse group. You're, if I threw a rock in this direction, you might hit a conservative if I threw a rock in the other direction, you might hit a more liberal person. And I love that. You know, because we don't rally around politics. We don't even rally around systems of belief in this church. We rally around love for one another. And so I want to go to a church where people disagree with each other. Right? Because if you go to a church where people disagree with each other, that means they're there because they love one another. And they're not here behind some uh, vision or goal. Right? Right. Anyway, I'm going way too long in my introduction, but I've wanted to do something as a church for a long time that actually helped the poor, specifically refugees. And so I'm about to introduce my friend, Sean. This is Sean over here. Why don't you come on up, Sean? So I've known Sean for just about a decade. I've known Sean for just about a decade. He's going to share a little bit about what he does. But Sean right now is doing work in Iraq with actual refugees. What I mean is like I've in the past, I've supported like third and fourth parties who do good things, but I've really wanted as a church to partner with someone who is like on the ground, actually doing something on their own, you know, so that I know it's not, we're not going through a process. We're actually partnering with people who are actually there. And Sean is, and I want him to share um, about his work with the refugees, but also just, Whatever's on your heart. So anyway, that's a terrible introduction. I'm really sorry, guys. But give it up for Sean. <laughs> that was good, man. You're dropping theology. I was like, keep going. How are you guys doing? It's so good to be here. What a what a uh, privilege to be able to come in this community and it's i think it's been a long time since i've been to this church worship this morning was amazing it sounded so good do you guys know how good it sounds in here i don't know if you guys like it i always you know as a worship leader too a musician i like to come to you guys are punching so far above your belt and for a church this size and the way that it sounds and the band that you have they are insane so can we just give it up um I was uh I was texting some of uh, you know Josh Baldwin some of the other guys at Bethel Music which like half of our whole team is from North Carolina um and I'm like it is kind of ridiculous how good it sounds in here they're like yeah it's not fair for a church this size but uh it really is an honor to be here I feel I feel an extra measure of um I don't know, just the timing of the Lord uh, be here. We we were last night in Orlando. Um, you could throw that picture up. We were at this this gathering um, called The Send. And we had about um, forty to 50,000 people in Orlando. And 
the whole purpose of this gathering was a, a call to missions. And uh, I know for many years, John Mark and myself and many other people have been a part of the call movement. And maybe some of you guys are familiar with that throughout the years. You know, the call to pray and fast and, and be set apart and stuff. And, and But this, there was a shift yesterday where this was like actually a call to go. And some of the major themes were, you know, uh, signing up for adoption, reaching your neighborhood, um, you know, reaching out to the poor, the marginalized. And then, of course, you know, nations. Jesus was very clear, you know, Judea, Samaria, and, and then the ends of the earth. So we're actually called to all three. You know, we're called to all three different spheres and our neighbors, as well as the refugees in Iraq, which I'm going to share about today. But I felt. I don't know. I just felt like there's something in, you know, the, the divine plan of the Lord that I would be here literally after my ears were getting split open at the sound of, you know, 50,000 mostly young people committing their lives to go to the nations. And so I'm just praying this morning. Can I just pray before I start? Just that God would, whatever it was that, that he did there and you know, whether stadium gatherings are your thing or not, you know, I went, I went through a little bit of a stadium burnout season where I was like, I don't know if I can do it anymore, but there's something really profound that God's releasing a clarion call. I feel like to the body of Christ to break, uh, to break in action, you know, uh, actually to make a, even I'll be more intense to make a war on inaction. To where we don't just become a people that are heady and cerebral and, and feel like we're really smart, but that, you know, we're backing up our theology. We're backing up what we believe with action. You know, it's faith with works. So let me just pray. Lord, I thank you this morning for the privilege to be here. I'm, I'm just so thankful for this church and thankful for the leadership and, God, this community that just loves so well, and I just love how chill and it is here and vibey and family, and I just, I'm so into it. I just pray this morning, Lord, that you would stir hearts of people to break off inaction in their own life, whatever that may look like, God, that there would be a grace to engage today, engage the world, engage their neighborhoods, engage the, the needs of people around them. Jesus' name, amen. Um, just a quick shameless plug because I, everything that we do, all the CDs and everything we sell, if anybody still gets CDs, my mom would, if she was here, um, they all go to, to what we're doing in the missions world. And it's just something we've always done. Everything's gone into our nonprofit, which goes into that, but we have a new album, new album out, Bethel Music Victory. I don't know if, how many of you guys have heard this, um, Again, half of these songs are North Carolina people, so it's kind of should we should do like a home release in North Carolina somewhere. What's really cool about this season, though, and I'm going to tie this in um, to what I want to share, is we've a lot of these songs that we've been writing and and, and working on together are coming out of pretty a pretty tumultuous season. Uh, how many of you guys have seen the wildfires that happen in California? It's funny, it's like, you know, people are like, move to California. I never wanted to do it, was never into it. And it was actually my wife that had this divine dream and blah, blah, blah. And and, uh, and then, you know, our second summer there, we have like the two biggest wildfires in the history of America that just destroy our town. I mean, it's like, in it, I mean, 
I don't know if I can articulate. I've never really seen anything like it. Um, the, the, the one that really came through Reading came through half the city is called the car fire. And, um, it was so intense that inside of this forest fire it was so hot and it was so dry that it created a weather system inside of the wildfire. And there was actually what meteorologists are calling, uh, uh, like a tornado in the fire. They're calling it a fire NATO. Basically hell, right? And it was 212 mile per hour winds in this tornado and it just shredded entire neighborhoods apart. So here we are, you know, Bethel, we're singing glory songs, you know, they're going around the world, you know, da 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 da. And it's like all of a sudden your whole town gets ravaged and it kind of tests the strength of your songs. And, you know, all your friends are losing homes, losing families. People have, you know, lost their lives and it's devastation. And I just felt this morning, I want to start there because a lot of this stuff too, even in the Middle East, you really have to carry God's perspective. I feel like a lot of times we, you know, we, we, in the West, we, we resist pain. You know, we see, you know, ISIS guys cutting off people's heads. We switch the channel. We, you know, we, we don't want to take it in too much because either a, we become responsible then to do something, or we just are kind of fatigued by it, you know? And, um, and, you know, walking through this season, we, the, some of the theology that, was helping us even as we were singing and, and declaring and speaking. And I remember um, one night I, I, I led worship and it was right when the wildfires were going on. And you got to understand, like we had air quality levels that were the lowest that have ever been recorded on earth or the highest, whatever, lowest or highest. Though basically the worst air quality, like Beijing times 10. And so we were living in masks for three months of the summer and it got so bad. I mean, we have a little baby and just developed such a gnarly cough. And it's like, I don't know what they said. Like a week of breathing that in is like smoking cigarettes, like a chain smoker for 20 years. It's like crazy, you know, the damage it does. So we, we ended up having to evacuate, you know, two, three times during the course of that summer. But I remember leading worship and we had had evacuated our main facility and we were in kind of one of our side facilities and um, and we threw together this last minute kind of worship thing. And a lot of people that came to it were those that had lost their homes. They literally had nowhere to go. And uh, it was funny. Bill Johnson has a story. He got evacuated last minute and uh, <laughs> he was running out of his house because they were like, it's coming. The fire's coming. And it was just pandemonium. And so he like couldn't think of anything to grab. So he went in his fridge and grabbed cheese. <laughs> True story. And he got in his car and he's driving away with his wife. And they're like, what did you, did you get the wedding albums? Did you get to whatever? He goes, I just got the cheese. <laughs> so funny. I mean, it was that kind of level of, of insanity, you know? And, uh, but I remember we were worshiping. We were worshiping and, and, you know, this whole family was down here. It was some of my friends and they lost everything. Their kids lost everything, all their toys, all their, they had a beautiful home on a lake and everything torched and had nowhere to go. And they were just down here, you know, and we started worshiping just, and they, you know, they were just, I don't even remember the lyrics, but it was something like, just take it all, Lord. We love you. And, and through that, they were, all the little kids were lifting their arms and crying. And I was just a mess. And, and then this whole word came to our community about, you know, if it's not good yet, it's probably not the end yet. 
And this whole thought about, and I, I, I relate this to the refugee crisis too. Um, he turns all things together for good for those that love him. Like, so if, if it's not, if it hasn't been good or if you haven't reached a good finality or conclusion in whatever crisis or whatever season you're in, it's probably not the end yet. Hang on until it gets good. And that was a word that really moved our community and even began to shape a little bit of our project, you know, cause when we in, began to engage in Iraq 10 years ago, um, we were there and, uh, I'm, we're going to scroll through some pictures up here, um, and I'm going to just share some stories. But when we began to engage in Iraq 10 years ago, it was, you know, right as Saddam, the first, my first trip there was when Saddam pulled down the, uh, the, when they pulled down the statue of Saddam and it was just complete chaos. You can just pause here because I want to turn around and I'll share some. And then we had a presence. We began to doing projects. We began engaging and, you know, our heart, I grew up in a family where, our heart burned for the unreached. Uh, you know, we were in war zones. We were rescuing kids out of child prostitution. We were engaged in so many different areas around the world. And, and it, it only was in probably the last five to six years where I began to actually care for America and Europe. I'm like, they've already heard, forget them, you know, go to the unreached. You know, I was just, I just was cut from that cloth, you know? Um, but so we, when we began to engage in, in Iraq, um, we began to build, you know, projects and began to build uh, community centers and playgrounds and do different things. And then when ISIS rolled in, like everybody left. The liability was too high. All of the major missions organizations you could think of, they bailed. I mean, and they left, they left quick, you know, because there was the beheading video came out of James Foley and then there was more stuff. And then, and then it just like hit. And I'm sure you guys remember that season where the viral like demon of 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 intimidation rolled through the press, right? You guys remember that? And uh Americans were just freaked out. I remember being we were living in Pennsylvania at the time. I remember driving down to Virginia and I stopped at a Chick-fil-A which we don't have in our town out there. We're in just pray for us. We're in the barren wilderness. Um but we're we're just claiming it, Jesus. We're claiming it. Um but I remember I stopped at a Chick-fil-A. I think it was, it was outside of DC or something. And I remember like, and we were planning our first trip as a family to go to Iraq. This was during ISIS. I just had this call. I'd been doing several trips for myself. We had launched a team. I came home, um, after my first trip during ISIS, realized there's nobody there, the devastation, how horrible it was. And I'm like, we got to raise up a team. I began to mobilize and find anybody and anybody that would be willing to go. The first three people that we sent were my babysitters. Mid-20s, like the exact opposite kind of people you'd want to send into a war zone. Like beautiful girls, mid-20s, all single, and they were just the first ones to say that they would go. And so we sent them. We trained them as much as we could, and we sent them, and we funded them. And um, I had a lot of interesting talks with their parents, a lot, a lot, a lot of interesting conversations. And... Um, but when I came back from launching our team full time, we began to, you know, get a house, get a car, do get all the stuff that we would need to facilitate the ministry and projects. Um, 
I was like, I feel like we just need to bring our family. And so we were making plans and, and it was less about us being a hero family. And it was more about just breaking off the spirit of fear that has gripped America with this thing. And I remember driving down 95, stopping at Chick-fil-A and we were in there and my kids were playing and, and we were just giving them a car break, you know, and they were just, they were playing and this lady turns over to us, Chick-fil-A and she goes, ISIS is everywhere like that. And I was like, huh? You know, we were like, me and my wife were like, what? She goes, ISIS could be in here right now. They could be here. They could be down the road. They're everywhere. You know, and she was like, <laughs> and then she started quoting some Bible verse or something. I forget, but it was just like crazy, you know? And I'm just like, and I looked into her eyes and I was like, actually, legitimately people are paranoid, you know? And, and we, we began to feel this call to engage, um, Really, because, I, you know, that spirit of intimidation, the spirit of fear, it, it, it pushes us into a realm. I mean, Jesus was clear, like, we're the light of the world. We're, yeah, we are sheep among wolves. Yeah, we are neglected. We're despised. We're abused. But, like, he who's in us is greater than he who's in the world. Like, we, we're called. We're equipped. We're mobilized. We, we were born for this hour. And so what we began to realize is as we began to engage in this, in this area, especially because there was a vacuum of really not a lot of people there, we began to see that what the enemy made for evil in the most heinous, wicked, unimaginable stories. I mean, I remember our first few trips, we just walk into these refugee camps and these women would just come up to us and tell us how, you know, days before they escaped to the refugee camp, ISIS would put all their kids up in front of them, beheaded them all, you know, and they would just, the, the most horrendous, vile, heinous evil you could ever imagine. And we would just hug them and we would just weep. We would literally have no answers. We would literally have no strategy. And it, you know, thankfully we've developed some things. We do trauma counseling. We planted churches. We do all kind of different kind of therapies. And we're seeing a lot of breakthrough, but in that initial phase remember i brought my wife over there for the first time and i think she bawled her eyes to sleep for 10 days in a row just to realize the pain and the depths of despair that these people walk through but what what we began to realize is as we engaged with them as we met their needs as we loved on them with no agenda i mean they're not our evangelistic projects What's crazy is that they all end up wanting Jesus as they spend more time with us. But we never come with an evangelistic agenda. We just come to love on them. And as we meet them in their place of need, every single one of them now wants hope and they want love. ISIS overplayed its hand. And now the altar call strategy when we go into refugee camps, and we go into villages, is very easy. It's so simple, you know, they've experienced unimaginable pain and horror and death and, 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 and darkness. And now in, at the moment, at the hint that light shows up, at the hint that joy shows up, everybody wants in. Churches are planting like wildfire across Northern Iraq. People groups that we didn't even know existed. The Yazidis in the far reach, uh, unreached mountain, mountains of, of Iraq that ISIS drove out, that they, you know, threw off of cliffs that we never even knew existed in the missional landscape of the world. Now there's revival happening in those people groups. So God is really doing an amazing thing. And I want to frame the conversation and I'm going to share some stories. I'm going to share a video. 
Um, I want to frame the conversation around the fact that if it's not good, it's not the end yet. And that part of the beauty of what we get to engage with, with the marginalized and the neglected and the, and the, and the, and the persecuted peoples of the earth is we get to see the narrative from God's perspective. And we get to watch as God turns the negative, turns the darkness into good. And it's happening before our eyes. And we get to be a part of it. And it's such a privilege. I'm going to um, give you all some verses. Is that okay? You guys good with that? I love the Bible. I'm obsessed with it. I think it's the hope of the world. Um, turn to Colossians 1. I just want to. Proverbs 25, 25 says, Good news from a distant land is like a cup of cold water from a weary soul. So even though we've seen things that you would never want to see and had experiences that would blow your mind when it comes to darkness and despair, uh, I'm just so full of good news this morning. And, you know, we have to stop buying into the narrative that the media forces us into. I feel like we're just, you know, we don't want to be the Christians that are hiding in the corner. <laughs> you know, John Mark and I were talking about this the other day. It's like, send the Holy Spirit ambulance. <laughs> we're ready. Take us up to glory. You know, it's like, like, it, it, this life is so much better than that. Like, we have an invitation to co-labor with God. Like, it's funny when we go into these camps. I, so I brought a team, brought 15 guys from Bethel Music with me um, a few months ago. And they all thought they were going to die. And, you know, they, it's seriously, for real. I mean, it was like, and this is like post-ISIS, you know. And they were like, we're going to die. You know, we're, you know, they're like drafting their wills for their families and stuff. They'd never really done anything in the Middle East, done anything out of the kind of conference, church, you know, worship kind of world. And um, it was interesting, you know, for them to experience firsthand, uh, one, God moving. You know, I think I think you get there and it's like you think it's so hard and difficult. And literally, I haven't walked into a refugee camp where I haven't felt the presence of God so strong. It's almost like all of heaven and all the angels are like, somebody finally showed up. <laughs> you know, somebody showed up. And it, these are the easiest atmospheres to lead worship in, to love people in. I mean, it's like, I feel like it's, it's harder with religious spirits sometimes in America than it is when you go over here. People are open, man. They're walking around. Their hearts, their hearts are wide open. Uh, Colossians one, I love this to frame. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read out the NIV. I got two. I always got two Bibles, you know, it gives me options. Um, but Colossians one, if, if you're ever bummed out, like you're depressed, maybe you're like drinking the Kool-Aid of the news and you're just kind of like the world sucks and whatever, just open the fire hydrant of Colossians. You know, Paul is writing this to a persecuted, tiny, puny, neglected church, not realizing that these words are going to be read in front of two billion people. That there would be a global church that is massive. And Paul's writing this. I mean, and the optimism. I just love that. We could use a good dose of optimism in the church. 
Like we could use a good dose, even as we work through the issues and as we engage in the political stuff and we engage in all this stuff, like we could actually realize as believers, the moment that we come into agreement, we invite Jesus into our heart, we step into the new covenant, we, we, we actually, all of us become optimists. That's like part of your birthright. That's part of the Jesus thing is you look at every glass not being half full, but ha- not being half empty, but half full. You, everything becomes an opportunity. Everything becomes a possibility. Everything and uh, Colossians one, it says, verse three, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that sprang from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard the true message of the gospel. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Most Americans don't realize that every 24-hour period, 30,000 people give their life to Jesus a day in China. Most Americans don't realize that Indians, there's such a crazy revival in India right now. 25,000 Indians a day are getting saved. I go to India like twice a year. I've been, I think, like 26 or 27 times. I have a love-hate relationship with the nation because I almost get sick every time I go. And I didn't grow up on spicy food, but I've come into a revival. And uh, But India is exploding right now. I mean... The, uh, Iran, take the underground church of Iran. You know, we see a lot of gnarly news from Iran. The, the underground church in Iran is, is, is exploding at such a significant pace. Underground pastors, I get these messages. Our number one prayer request, this is from one of the pastors in Tehran. Our number one prayer request right now is for more swimming pools. I'm like, swimming pools? What do you mean? Like, yeah, we need more swimming pools. And I'm like, for what? And he's like, everyone wants to get baptized. And all of the private pools were filling all the private pools. People were literally lining up in 24-hour cycles just to go get baptized. And, and there's, there, like, we are, there, some of us, we're missing the global narrative of what God's doing. Like, every seven seconds, an Indonesian Muslim comes to Jesus. I mean, there are pockets of revival that are happening across the world and significant. I mean, I was in the third most closed country on earth. I mean, it's a place where they still cut Christians heads off. It was a miracle. I got a visa. This is last year. And this is a place that is famous for ruthless persecution. Worst human rights record in the world. I mean, just I could go on and on and on. Everything I read about the church in this country was that it was small it was persecuted it was hopeless it was you know maybe there'd be some believers here and there but they're really scattered we went in and the pastors mobilized the largest worship service that's ever happened in this country they found (laughs) they found a wedding venue in the middle of the desert that shakes used to do these big weddings at in the middle of the desert they reserved it for their first ever collective collaborative worship night for all of the underground churches I thought, and it would be my dream, like if 20 people showed up, like I would take that over any of our Beth music stuff. Like people know me, like that's my dream. I just want to be a fly on the wall in the room with those people. We pull up, drive through the desert for hours. We pull up to this crazy, 
huge, extravagant venue. Inside are 1,200 people from the underground church. No sound system. No dope band like this. No cool rug. Like, the, it's, it is literally, it is a cold concrete floor and there's 1200 people that could get their heads cut off for going singing their guts out they were doing that for three hours before i came and i showed up and i'm just like you reach what i mean i just i just laid on the ground and cried i'm like i like i can't leave these people like i need prayer from these people But you don't see that. You don't read that. We don't get fed that news. And so it's important for us to understand there's a narrative that God is writing that many of us may not know. And we would live in a little bit more confidence of the church. Colossians 1. I just had this conversation. I was up this very prominent, well-known guy in media, you know, who's 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 a young guy and he's, you know, capturing the heart of a generation, da, 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 da. But he's mostly from a Western perspective. And, you know, he was so bummed and depressed and, you know, millennials are leaving the church and it's just, uh, and I'm like, yeah, bro, do you know what God's doing around the world? Do you know that, you know, 50,000 people just filled the stadium, you know, down the street from where you live? Like there's a lot to celebrate right now. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> Maybe I stayed up too late. Um, so, so framing the conversation from a church that, that, you know, that thrives in these conditions. Part of the problem in America is like, you know, people like, it's like the, the more difficult and rough that it gets and polarized and wild and crazy, the, the more powerful the church becomes. The church thrives in conflict. The church explodes under persecution. The church historically, I mean, we've actually never, I mean, I, I believe this is possible. We haven't seen it in revival history. I believe that, that, you know, my dream is that the church could actually be healthy and whole when the nation's good and the economy's good and things are going good. Historically, that really has never happened. Most of the revivals happen in seasons of craziness. And we're, you know, we're kind of in one right now, ish. Um, and so that gives me hope, you know, that, I mean, you should have seen, gosh, the interracial dialogue that we had yesterday, the profound moments of reconciliation and the hope. And I mean, it's just like, God, I mean, you have you, 12 hours of that in a stadium and all of a sudden you're like, there is hope. Some of it is getting off Twitter. Some of it is like, you know, maybe, you know, a little less of scrolling and just a little more of this like jesus help us you know Uh, there is an element of that you know that that some of us need to unplug a little bit you know and we need to set guardrails and you know we're so triggered and we're so offended at everything it's the most offended generation that ever existed in the world like i'm offended at your offenses because you offended me and it's like jesus was like the most offended man in all of history and with his last dying breath he forgave all of his offenders their offenses But for some reason, we feel entitled in this right to perpetually be offended. And that is what we have to give up if we want to step into the new season. Because I'm telling you, these believers, these are the least offended people you've ever had. They pray for the people that persecute them. Like all the time, I'm like, part of me is like, what are y'all doing? 
No, we just pray. You know, I mean, they, they, they literally are unoffendable people. And the gospel is so pure. So pure. Anyway, let's flip through. I want to show some pictures. So we, uh, we, we, um, I brought 15 from Bethel Music and we, it was funny the, the, the day that we rolled in, I'm like, yeah, this is gone and it's going to be safe. It's fine. And you know, my drummer that came, like he, his wife was like eight months pregnant. He's like, am I going to see your baby? I'm going to see your baby. It's fine. You know? And the, we, we step into a upper, go back there. We step into, go back to that other one. Um, the one with the guitar. We stepped <laughs> or just keep going. We'll come, we'll come back around to it. We, we, uh, so we step into a, uh, we, we stepped into an all night prayer meeting with the underground church. That was how I wanted the entry point for these guys to engage with. And that night during that all night prayer meeting, we're praying and this word comes forth during the prayer meeting to pray that God would unveil schemes of darkness. This Kurdish, new Kurdish Christian just gets this prophetic word. And it's like, we need to pray. So we start praying. Literally two hours later, seven miles down the road, the top five guys in ISIS get captured by Navy SEALs. <laughs> kind of destroyed my narrative a little bit, you know, like right down the road. You know, it was crazy. And it was like, I don't, the article on it is pretty wild. Like they tracked them using their, their apps on their mobile phone and they were able to like coax them to come across the border from Syria. And they captured them that night during that prayer meeting. It's pretty amazing, you know, and so, and so anyway, that made them feel more safe, I guess, knowing that they were captured. But what we began to do, we did this distribution. We raised, I think, $150,000 and we were in a camp, several camps, but most of these camps were anywhere from 20,000 to 40,000 people that were living in primarily Western Mosul, which was the stronghold of ISIS. I don't know if you if you follow the storyline at all, um, but, you know, they declared the end time caliphate headquarters would be in Mosul, which is very interesting. If you're a believer and you follow geography, which geography is a big deal in the heart of God. Amen. I, I mean, you should like I tell people like North Carolina, like takes over the worship world. I don't know why there's something about the real estate the geography of this place, you know, it's real, you know, geography, like God does specific things. Well, Mosul is actually the ancient city of Nineveh. Jonah's buried there. You know, I don't know if you saw that story. ISIS tried to blow up Jonah's tomb and they could not blow it up. They were getting so mad because it was, it was so old and the stones were so big. And it was like, I think they tried like three or four times to destroy Jonah's tomb. And it was like, no, not happening. But Nineveh was the greatest, the greatest historical city of revival that we've seen. Every single person, even the animals had sackcloth on. You know, it's like everybody turned their heart. And so the storyline of the city of one is one of revival. So ice there. So all you know, demonic kind of storyline, they're called to be there. So all of these are residents of Nineveh. And they all were, these are all kids that were child soldiers under ISIS for three years, brainwashed, told to hate white people, to hate Christians, to, you know, America's the, you know, the evil infidel empire, whatever. And their first representation with the very thing that they are called to hate is us. (laughs) 
coming in days after they get in this camp. So we're doing the distribution. I think we had like rice and flour and vegetables. I mean, the needs are so absolutely crazy. I mean, it's like we're working on another distribution right now. We've raised, I'm going to be there in three weeks and we've raised, I think 80,000 and we need 120. And I was, you know, talking with the, um, I have all these crazy like Arabic guys numbers and they like get on what's up and they're like, yeah, Sean, what are you doing? You know, they're so loud. And it's like half the time they're speaking Arabic. It's like, it, anyway, it's, it's a weird life, but I'm like, what do you want us to buy? What do you need? And they're like, everything. We need everything. I'm like, okay, we'll start somewhere. Like give us something, you know, shoes, shoes. Okay. Let's do shoes, you know? And so then we got to find somebody in Turkey cause they don't like produce anything in these war zones. So we got to find somebody in Turkey that makes shoes. We got to get approximate sizes and find a way to get across the border from Turkey and go through customs and work through all that. Well, the U.S. military hooked us up on this trip because they have a program that we have engaged with where anytime they're flying a plane over to Iraq and they don't have soldiers or tanks and they have room in it, they put boxes of our food in it. So they delivered thousands and thousands of pounds of boxes of food And we were able to do this massive distribution. During the distribution, of course, you know, we're seeing the needs. Sometimes we bring doctors with us, nurses, people that can address some of the needs. But I just felt like, man, there's there's 15 of us here, producers, musicians, like engineers, guys. Like, we got to get the stories of these people. We got to worship with these people. We got to bless these people. And more for anything, I wanted our guys in Bethel Music to have an experience with the Iraqis, to go into the tents, to hug the moms, to play with the kids. So the guy that leads the camp there was like, well, we can't really do that with this group. And I'm like, well, why? And he's like, well, they're all, they were all under ISIS. We haven't vetted all of them. He's like, there's 5,000 kids in this thing. He's like, they could kill you with rocks. If I let you through the gate, like nobody knows what they're going to do. You know, like nobody knows. And crazy, this kind of may mess up some of your the whole refugee thing, but they, they captured the day before we got there, they captured 20 ISIS dudes posing as refugees that had an elaborate strategy of attacks. I mean, it's a, it's a very deep conversation. We like to do it in like tweets, you know, one tweet statements. Yeah. Take that. You know, sitting there at the coffee shop with their latte. Yeah. Take that, you know, punks. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't really work like that. Like, come with me. Let's roll. Let's get engaged in the conversation, have the talks, begin to experience that it actually is. It's a process. There's a lot that goes in, goes into those conversations. Anyway, I say, no, no, we have to go out. I say, we have to go out. And I tell my guys, listen, we could get hurt. I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen. Could happen. Who wants to roll, you know? And, uh, so we opened the gate and it was this moment and we just finished a 65 minute film. We, we it was kind of an, an accident. We were going to do a kind of a 20 minute, you know, short documentary on on some of the stories and the delivery of of the stuff that we brought. But they were like, we just kept seeing miracles, signs and wonders, miracles, people getting saved, getting healed, getting delivered, like just God showing up. And we're like, like. In, in just the days that we were there. And so we ended up cutting a full-length film and we're in the process of distribution and might come out on um, Netflix or some different... Hopefully I can come back here and show it with you guys one time. It'd be, it'd be really fun. But 
they flung wide the gate to the camp because it's all barbed wire. And we walked in and we brought our guitars. And I'm like, listen, we don't know Arabic. We don't know Kurdish. But we do know how to make a joyful noise. We do know joy. We do know fun. We do know la, la, la. We do know whatever. And so we got a game plan. We tried to come up with like, you know, something, you know, a non-white beat on the drums. We needed Stephen Roach is what we needed. But David held it down. Boom, ga-doom, ga-boom, ga-doom. We, you know, we got something kind of funky and fun. And we just walked through the camp. And as we walked through the doors, we walked through the camp. And I'm telling you. It's crazy, like, what happens with joy in the face of trauma? What happens when you carry? It's like people, they don't want to go because they don't know what to do. They don't have a strategy. They don't know how to gauge. I tell people, we don't have a strategy. Like, Jesus wasn't like, hey, think about what we're going to do for three years. Come up with a plan and then go. He's like, no, go, and I'll give you the words to speak. Go, and I'll give you the plan. And that's how we've built our ministry there. You know, as we've gone and we've, so we were walking through the camp and playing the guitar and playing with the kids and you could just see like layers and layers of, of brainwashing for the last three years coming off of them, them realizing that we love them, realizing that we want to be with them. We would stop, you know, play some songs and stop and they would make us bread that they would bake on the side there and we'd get the bread and eat it and we'd go again. And then we went and played soccer with them and the whole day we just played with these kids. We played with the families. We broke down the walls that separated us in the division. You know how many walls are broken down when we just talk to people? This is why social media is so difficult. It's like, don't live your life in the comment section of Instagram. Like, conversations, engagement. It's hard to hate people when you're looking at them face to face. Right? And, and so we began to build our, our whole ministry, the whole thing that we're doing from this face-to-face interaction. Sure enough, we got to a place where we're then have the trust and the care of these camps. Now we show up and the, the camp leaders go, oh, hey, you guys are Christians. Are you looking for other people that are Christian? We're going to show you where they are. You want to plant a church here? These are Muslim leaders. You want to plant a church here? Yeah, let's do a church here. Yeah, okay. Oh, I'll show you the first Christians that are already here. Yeah, and then go go tell everyone else. And it's all of a sudden broken this whole thing of like, like the whole world actually wants Jesus. I am like more thoroughly convinced than ever before. The whole world actually wants Jesus. And when we showed up in these camps, we realized that Jesus was already walking in and out through the camps. I want to show you one video and then I want to pray for you. And then y'all can go get Bojangles and sweet tea. Do, do your thing. But I want to, I want to, can I show you guys one video? Is that cool? I, I could literally talk about this stuff for, I, I just love it. And I love the heart of this church that you guys want to engage. And we want to make opportunities for you to engage. I've never had a person from Carolina on a trip that I did not love. The thicker the accent, the more people love them. It's true. So anyway, I want to play this video. So this is just kind of a a cool testimony. One of the 50 testimonies that we have where we show up. And I think sometimes even as American Christians, we can be like, God is here now. You know, it's like, 
<laughs> and it's like, ah, oh, he's been here for a while, you know, and he's doing stuff and he's moving and you're invited to be part of the storyline, uh, but you're not the hero. And we've, I mean, it, it's actually amazing. We've, we've had that whole thing ripped off of us. Like, I mean, we, we, and, and this is kind of a story of a guy from the persecuted church that was, that ISIS tried to burn three times alive and he wouldn't die. This is an unprovoked story. It wasn't a guy that we sought out. This was a random dude. As we were walking, we just asked him a story and he just told us this crazy story. Like it happens every day, you know, like it's normal for them. Like, don't you get burned alive and survive? You know? Um, so I want to show you this story. It's in Arabic, but there's subtitles. It's called the promise real quick. The team had barely arrived at the camp before meeting a Yazidi man who had been imprisoned and tortured by ISIS for two months. The Yazidi people are Iraq's most persecuted ethnic and religious minority. But what he had to share surprised us all. Did ISIS make him convert to Islam? Jesus appeared twice to you in a dream because he loves you. المسيح انقذني من الجزيئه كان يضربوني بالبلوكات على جسمي when they found out that he was yes وكان وكان حجار لين ياثر عليه كان ما يضربون لاشتي مره انه كب عليه 20 لتر بنزين الجزيئه even they once last time they put at 20 gallons of of uh, uh, gas or oil بنزين كيروسين over him. Over him? Yes. And even they burned me and I didn't burn. They tried to burn yes, him. Yes, and he didn't. And he didn't burn. Yes. The Yazidis. Yes. We want to pray for him. أكثر يا رب كل يا رب سلطان وشفاء تام إلهي يحصل على هذه الجسد والنفس يا رب والروح باسم الرب يسوع المسيح الحق أهم شيء والله هني يعني أنا أحبكم يعني من كل قلبي. Our conversation with the Yazidi man was our first encounter with the supernatural in Iraq, but it wouldn't be our last. Crazy. I mean, we didn't ask for that. He just came up and. Wow, so how do you guys feel about that? I mean, doesn't it kind of like, I don't know, I, I was just the whole time over there, like, feel the, something, you know, the adrenaline or something. My heart's beating faster, like, you know, and I guess this is what I, I, I would communicate it if I knew how, if I had the words, you know, is that helping people out is not a drag, it's actually not something the Lord is requiring us to do. It's a gift to us that we would have the opportunity to be a part of this story. 
<laughs> around Christmas, Sean asked me to come out and be a part of his fundraiser in California. And I remember um, asking the Lord, what should I say? What should I say? And the Lord, I, I'm probably, I, I don't know that I remember all the words, but uh, I felt like the Lord said, you know, maybe I haven't, I'm not sending you to save the poor. I said, what if I'm sending the poor to save you? What if, <laughs> what if you, what if there's a joy that you haven't experienced in your life because you've been so distracted by how good your life is? And not the Lord wants to give me a bad life. He wants to give me a good life, you know? But I think that like to help other people is a blessing. It's a blessing. It's actually, that is, it's actually the good life. I wrote this down. Helping people isn't a drag. It's a gift. It's not a requirement. It's a blessing. Loving people is the good life, you know? And so Sean and I have been friends for a long time and, when we were together in California, it's like, we got to figure out a way for our community to be a part of what you're doing. Cause I know everybody wants to, you know, and I really, I would love it if, if when, you know, someone's like new to queen city or when you're out getting your hair cut and they ask you about the church, like, what's your church? Like, like, well, I don't, you know, she may not think much, but I don't, well, we, you know, we worship and sing and we help people in you know, we're helping be a part of saving refugees. You know, I would love it if that was just a part of our narrative. I'm not telling you guys it needs to be. I'm saying I would love it if we're just so involved with this stuff that this is what we want to talk about, you know. And so we're going to take up an offering on and every bit of this offering goes to the refugees. Right. Every bit of this offering goes to helping the refugees. We're going to take up an offering today. And I want this to be a more regular thing. I want to have Sean back. I want him to send videos to show us what's happening, ways we can help. He might even take some of you guys to Iraq. <laughs> I might be able to convince him to take one or two of you guys if you want to go. <laughs> you know? But I, I do. Like, I love this. I feel that my heart is connected to this narrative, to this narrative. So we're going to take up an offering real quick, and all this is going to go to helping the refugees. We want to try and help get Sean to his $100,000 goal, and I think he said they're at $80,000 right now. Do we know specifically, does this go to shoes or to rice and water or just to all, all of the above? Cool. Yep. Yep. Can you guys all hear what Sean said? Why don't you come up here real, real quick? He said, highest on the spreadsheet is flour. So it's like, uh, it's, you know, specific to the exact needs, but every time it kind of changes according to what else they've been given. But as the media attention shifts to other disasters in the world, you know, so does the funding and the engagement. And yeah, ISIS is gone and we're super thankful. And by the way, these people love Americans. It's one of the few places you go in the Middle East where you walk into the airport and everyone cheers for, for America. It's, it's rare in parts of the world, but here it's so it feels good, you know, to, to be appreciated. But because ISIS has been kicked out, they've just left entire cities devastated. So 
they're really, we're engaged in the process of, you know, helping people return and rebuild. But until the infrastructure is there, because they wiped out entire power grids, they wiped out, I mean, it's, they destroyed everything. We're talking like 20, 30, 40, 50 years of resettling in villages. And so they're stuck in refugee camps until then. So. So anyway, we want to take up an offering today and we're going to dream about ways we can help in the future. So if you guys want to give, you can give, um, you know, you can obviously write a check or give cash. Um, if you want to give through the text to give, you can do that too. Just make sure to choose the missions uh, for the fund instead of tithes and offerings. Do we have that on the screen? Um, it will be, it will shortly appear on the screen if you want to give via text. Yeah, so there it is. Yep, so that's how you can give via text. Just make sure to click on missions instead of tithes and offerings, and all of it will go to Iraq. So anyway, you guys can go ahead and pass those around. Oh, did I miss something? If you, raise your hand if you need envelopes. I haven't done this in a while. Awesome. And um, while you're. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wherever. Yeah. <laughs> All of this goes. Yep. Sorry. Did I miss any details? Do I need any more details? With <laughs> All right. While we're passing the book, some of Sean come up here real quick. Um, I know we've gone a little bit long. Um, while we're passing the book, I just wanted to tell one, one more story. Can you tell the Christmas story real quick? This is my favorite one. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So when we were there, we, um, when I brought my family, we, my kids starting to have conversations. So we adopted about um, nine Yazidi families that were all one family. So they were all trapped on Mount Sinjar. And one of the first things that we did when we came to Iraq is really we're asking, okay, Lord, the needs are so massive, but like, we want to personalize it. Like who are the ones that you're calling us to? And by this time, all the refugee camps were filled. Mount Sinjar was happening, which is in the North Iraq. That's where the Yazidis lived. And ISIS had them trapped on top of the mountain. It was a big story. A lot of them died. <clears throat> the ones that escaped began to settle into cities. They ran by the time they reached the major cities, they were full. The refugee camps were full. And so they were just finding abandoned buildings and putting tents up and, and stuff. So we found a family, nine families, but one family connected, you know, it's like a father, grand, you know, like the grandpa chief guy, and then like all his sons and then all their wives and all their kids. So that was the family that we've adopted. Every day we go and visit them. We provide for their needs, da, 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 da as well as the big distributions. And I brought my kids and we were over there. And my kids were talking to their kids about Christmas. And they, these Yazidi kids were like, yeah, we've, we've heard about Christmas. What is Christmas? And so through interpreters, we began to realize they wanted to know what Christmas was. And I was coming back a few months later and I thought we're going to just bring them a Christmas party. So I went to Ikea and I bought like 10 of those little trees. I filled up one whole suitcase with hot, just hot cocoa we brought presents that were specific to each of the kids. 
And then we had to buy these um, heaters. We were providing them heaters anyways. And we threw a whole Christmas party. We took streamers and wrapped them around their whole like kind of abandoned building complex. And we sung Christmas songs. It was like so powerful. And it was fun. It was fun for us to do that. But I got so wrecked because we sat down. We made them hot chocolate. We brought marshmallows. And we sat down, and with my buddy, who's an interpreter, I begin to share the Christmas story. Open up the Bible, begin to share. And I start talking, and I, you know, talking about Mary and Joseph, and talking about how they had no room, and talking about how they were on the run. And none of this stuff's connecting with me yet, right? I'm just Christmas story mode, do it every year, you know? And I'm just reading it, reading it, he's translating it, and I get to the part where it's like, and Jesus was born in a manger. And the interpreter's like, well, how do I interpret that? What is that? And I said, you know, it's a, it's a, like a, like a building or a shed where livestock are. It's a, you know, it's, it's stuff like that. And he begins to explain it. And then the kids all look around and they go, what? Like that. And I noticed the commotion. And so I ask him, we're huddled around a kerosene heater. And I ask him like, what are they talking about? And he's like, they're talking about how Jesus was born in the same place where they live. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh yeah. He's like this used to be, it's, it's abandoned, but it used to hold livestock. It was the epicenter in this community for livestock. And he turned and looked, and when he said that, and I was reading that, this whole, like, I just, first of all, I just lost it. I just, like, uncontrollably lost it. I took a break from the Christmas story for a minute and wept and the other went outside. But I just began to realize, like, we're so disconnected Like there's a facet of the gospel. And, you know, Jesus lived in a Middle Eastern society and he lived in a culture that was way more similar to theirs than it is to ours. And as we've begun to share with them the stories of Jesus, there's a connection point that they have that we don't even have. I came home that day. I think I told John Mark this. I came home. We got back from the trip like two days before Christmas. And I came home and there's like Amazon boxes, you know, stacked up here. I'm like, we're doing Christmas different, you know, kicked them all out. You know, I just, but I just, you know, I just got so wrecked, you know, like, and I just thought, man, like he's talking about the gift that we have, the privilege that we have is watching the gospel organically, you know, take root in these. We we see parts of Jesus we never saw before. So, Lord, I just bless this church. I thank you, Lord, that they were willing to to wait a little bit longer for their sweet tea today and hang out. And I, I just thank you for, Lord, for the, this, Lord, these beautiful people, their families. I thank you for, Lord, their work, their jobs. I thank you for their faithfulness, Lord, that they're just being faithful and they're pressing into you and they're loving on you. And I just pray, Lord, today that... Lord, anything of what I shared, that it would just, it it would release that hope. It would release that commissioning to them. I just pray that, Lord, today, Lord, that you would fill us with a little more uh, fire in our bones, Lord, to to become the gospel, Lord, to reach the oppressed, the neglected, Lord, that I pray, Lord, that even for for some in here where for some reason that it's been complicated, like maybe it's it's just been complicated, whether that be on a social media thing or a political thing or whatever, God, just make it not complicated. Simple, make this simple gospel, the pure, simple gospel, Lord, let it take root in our heart again. And I, I just, I thank you, God, for what you're doing here. And I thank you for the partnership. And I, I just pray, Lord, that you would send some of these people to the Middle East. You know? <laughs> yes, do that.
But Lord, let them feel engaged and let them feel connected to what you're doing in these parts of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, give it up for Sean. We're going to have him back some more. And um going to try and keep this conversation going. So anyway, thanks for hanging around a little bit longer. I just thought this was a real special day. I wanted him to share everything he had to share. So go have some Bojangles. Love you guys. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 